Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened this past week in the world of WWE and wouldn't you know it, a podcast that on occasion would be a little bit of a chore, Chris, is now something we are looking forward to even more than usual every week. Of course, when I say Chris, I am referring to Vintage Chris Vanini, the co-host here for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. He will be on the show in a minute, but I would be remiss if I began any episode of this show without reminding you that Getting Over So please stop making me ask every single show. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us five-star ratings on Apple. Please go ahead. Also leave a written review to let everyone know how much you love the show, why they should subscribe. When I say that those written reviews matter, I am 100% serious about it. We read all the five-star reviews we get on this show. So allow me to go ahead and read you a review that tells you why the written reviews matter. A great find from MJ Frunder, five stars. I found this podcast after attending AEW and JPW Forbidden Door. I was looking for a pod that analyzed what happened on my drive home. I was immediately hooked by both the Silver King and Chris Vanini. Adam might be a little arrogant at times, but both him and Chris have wrestling, have incredible wrestling minds and know their stuff. The podcasts are in-depth, informational, and thought-provoking. I can't be alone in saying they've rekindled my interest in WWE, parentheses, a product I had mostly given up on besides PLEs, and parentheses, and supplemented my own opinions on AEW. Their thoughtful analysis helps me parse through what I've already watched and encourages me to seek out something that I may not would have otherwise watched. I can't recommend this pod enough. Hope the guys keep it going for a long time. First of all, thank you for that fantastic review. Let me let you in on a little hint. It's a gimmick, but okay. Thank you very much for that. Also, we got two uh, long written reviews. The Wrestling Podcast from Gorgeous Goober 45233. I'm currently standing inside my first live WWE event at SmackDown in Greenville, and I wouldn't have gotten back into WWE at all without this show. It is the wrestling podcast. There's so much content and it's impossible to keep up with everything all the time. These guys don't just provide a recap, but hit the right note of serious discussion, but not too serious without being any of the bad cliches wrestling discussions can lead towards that keeps me up to date. The earnest discussion helped me ease back into WWE just in time for the Triple H era. And these goosebumps of seeing the WWE live are in big thanks to them. Holy crap. Thank you so much. That's really nice. What a great review. Two awesome, awesome reviews. Uh, one person missing that there's a little bit of a gimmick going on here, but nevertheless, very gotta, appreciate that. And, and I got to say, WWE should be crediting us. Clearly, we're getting people back into their We're bringing product, people back. So. We are. Yeah. So, no, for, for real, though, um, Adam obviously you know promotes that at the top of the show every uh, every week. But it's nice. It's nice hearing that. It's nice knowing people are listening and enjoying it and any review helps. So we we really take that to heart and appreciate it. Yeah, Papa H, if you want to send some royalty checks our way, we're happy to take them. Yes. Uh, but because I mentioned the five-star ratings and reviews, 
Let me also note, you know, we appreciate your support massively when it comes to uh, reviewing the show, promoting it, telling your friends, family, coworkers, et cetera, to always listen. This actually also happens to be the one time every year where we do create the ability for you to contribute monetarily to getting over so we can pay our hosting bills, invest in new equipment and technology just to basically improve the show and keep it running. You guys, you girls, you've been so generous every time we've opened contributions, which is really only once a year. And it's to the point that many of you have actually DM'd us to ask if you could still contribute even after we close the windows. I always say no, of course, but nevertheless, I appreciate that. But if you are one of those people, or if you're someone who's contributed before, if you're a new listener and you want to contribute, here is your chance. You can contribute financially to getting over via Venmo. Our account is my full name without a space, at Adam Silverstein. The avatar is a picture of the ECW championship. That way you can make sure you found the right person. Any level of contribution is appreciated and no contributions are expected or obviously required. If you do want to contribute, but you don't have Venmo, another option is PayPal. You can DM us for that information because it's a bit more personal. I'm not going to just give it out to everyone here uh, on the airwaves. But again, the primary method is Venmo at Adam Silverstein. No spaces. I'll spell it for you. At Adam. I think you know how to spell that. S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. And again, it's a picture of the ECW title as the avatar. As always, as soon as we reach a certain amount of contributions, I will send a tweet immediately thanking everyone and asking you to pause them. But anyone who does wish to contribute, we certainly would appreciate it. And if you don't, we're not going to hold it against you either. So let me just put that out there. And one more thing to do as if asking for five-star ratings and reviews and potential contributions was not enough. You can also follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet during every major TV show live as they are going on, but we also tweet out news, polls. We allow you guys to contribute uh, DMs and, and questions that we read on the show. We have a number of those today. And of course, we do our live Twitter spaces shows ahead of every single pay-per-view and premium live event. So that was a long way of getting into today's show, but I appreciate all of you for sticking with us, Chris. This is the second straight week where we begin a WWE episode where I think the vast majority of our takes are going to be notably positive. Uh, Raw for me, I will say, was a slight step down from last week, but still far better than what we had been getting. SmackDown was way better than the prior SmackDowns we had been getting. Some of it, though, on Monday, at least to me, felt a little bit like too much too soon. They announced a women's tag team tournament for the titles, the vacant titles, but they only had one women's match on a three-hour show. That's a downgrade from what we would normally get on Raw. There were definitely some interesting match bookings, and there have been over these first two weeks, but they're being held in front of a fan base right now that doesn't really appreciate them. WWE still needs to retrain its live crowds in terms of what to expect in the ring because Triple H clearly wants to present more of a work rate style, less major spots and more work rate, which is positive, but is not what the fans are expecting. In that respect, to me, it feels like they're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. I just want to make sure that Triple H is careful not to spin the wheel too strong in one direction in certain spots. Some changes need to be more of a natural progression. We need to remember that we, you, I, the people listening here, are not the average main roster fan. The reactions of the Houston and Cleveland crowds 
I think kind of proved that those really sucked both of them for a major for major cities while Greenville South Carolina a much smaller crowd for Smackdown on Friday night was a million times better it was the crowd of the last eight days if we wanted to call it that and Chris this is not to like dampen the optimism around Triple H holding the book I, I think I've made it very clear how excited I am about that and how much I've wanted it for the last five years to seven years. He's already made massive improvements to the product, and he's going to continue to do so. Creative is better. More wrestlers we like are getting featured on TV. Commentary has improved massively. Promos are far better and less scripted. Fresh talent is joining the rosters. These are all huge positives. But he and WWE, they both need to be cautious not to do too much too fast. You don't want to jar your audience. You don't want to knock them off their kilter of what they expect from your product on a week-to-week basis. And unlike last Monday and this past Friday, last night, the second Raw under Triple H, to me, it felt like in areas they might be going a little too fast. Partly, I think, part of it is just simply it's going to take time for everyone to get adjusted to figure out that Champa is someone you should pay attention to, to figure out who Dakota Kai and EO Sky are, to figure out some of these other new people who are involved and the, these new teammates that are coming together and stuff like that. So it, it 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 is a lot real fast, but I also think it will people will pick up on it more with time because it's just a lot of new stuff. I loved Raw. I love SmackDown. Me there's too. Just a new, there's a new level of excitement and uncertainty around every single part of the show that feels fresh. And I'm going to I'm going to say it again, something that really stood out about Raw that I've really loved about the Triple H era is how much stuff happens backstage mm-hmm. and how many interactions there are and it feels like a living breathing show where just stuff is going on here and there. People are crossing paths doing all this stuff. You know what I it really, feels like, really Chris? Like you know what it yeah. feels like? It feels like a WWE universe. Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, and you go back, watch the Attitude Era, and they just they constantly had that kind of stuff. And so there are there were moments on Raw, like the, the crowd wasn't great, but there were moments where they got really into it. But I also think it's notable that one of the most over things with the live crowd right now is chanting tiny balls at the Miz. So <laughs> Right, exactly. So there is an adjustment that's going to have to be made with while understanding that people have been tr- you know, conditioned to react to certain things a certain way, and they will stick onto that, especially when they're familiar uh, people. It's a lot new all at once, yes, um, but I, I do think it will eventually come around. And, and that's exactly my point. Like, you know, something like Champa and Bobby Lashley, the way that was booked, obviously we're going to get into full details on that later in the show. But that was like a perfect encapsulation of what the Triple H era can be. A really damn good wrestling match that's booked perfectly with all of the right things happening to get everyone involved in it over. Something where I think they may have gone a little bit too far too fast was Dolph Ziggler, Chad Gable. Do you know how long I've been waiting to have a Dolph Ziggler, Chad Gable, full-on amateur wrestling-style technical match on TV? I've wanted it forever, right? Mm -hmm. But you're shoving it at 10.30 in the third hour of Raw, and you're giving them six minutes on screen. And I'm not saying that it's the end of the world, like it was bad. It wasn't bad. It was actually very entertaining. But the crowd could not have given a shit other than like some of them, a very small pocket, realizing that Dolph Ziggler is from the Ohio area. 
even when they announced him to the ring, they said residing in Hollywood, Florida. They should have said residing. He's a baby face residing in Hollywood, Florida, right. but from wherever Ohio, you know, they, yeah. they could have done that. So it, it just if I saw that and I was like, man, if that match and I, I, this is not a comparison we're going to make all the time. But if that match was in front of an AEW audience and it was given 14 minutes, we would have said that's one of the best matches of the week. Instead, did I like it? Did it pop me a little bit? Yes. Did the crowd care? They didn't. They just didn't. You need to work up to that. You cannot just throw that on TV. And and by the way, if you're going to, you shouldn't be giving it six minutes. But you can't just be throwing that match on TV and saying, enjoy this. This is now what we're doing. Well, I not for the main roster. I, I do think it's something we're going to just kind of have to get used to is that they're going to give us matches that seem pretty big on TV. And like you said, AEW, that's what they frequently do. Every week it's, oh man, this person's fighting this person. This feels new. We're just, we're, we're going with it. And, it the, and the match is the draw. And it probably will take time for WWE audiences to understand that and also understand the value of that because we're typically told two guys are fighting because something happened backstage or because they fought every week for the past five weeks, not just Chad Gable and Dolph Ziggler, sweet match. Like they're not conditioned that that's an awesome thing to see. Exactly. And that is, that is exactly my point. I'm not saying these things shouldn't be happening on TV, but WWE needs to slow their progress and work up to that. Don't just throw that on TV, still give people the, the new vicious Viking Raiders and Miz has tiny balls. Not that. No, I'm just saying not necessarily those exact things, but things like the Ezekiel's, right? You have to give them enough that they're familiar with so that as you work in the stuff that you're now presenting to them as being what the focus of the product is going to be, it feels like a natural progression and people aren't getting shell-shocked and saying, what is the show I just watched? This isn't the WWE I'm used to. Again, this is the WWE we want. The WWE that we want isn't necessarily what every casual fan wants. So Triple H needs to find that middle ground. And I do think he's going to. But unlike week one, this, the start of week two, this Raw episode, to me, it felt like they diverged a little bit too far in that direction compared to last week where I thought the balance was perfect. That was the distinction I was trying to make. Yeah, I I think that's fair. And, and And we'll get into the specifics now. We will. And we are going to do that momentarily. We're going to cover every single thing that happened in the world of WWE this week, including everything that happened on SmackDown and Raw. One more quick topic before we get to the main event, before we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly. A PW Insider reported on Monday that last week, John Laurinaitis, also known as Johnny Ace, the stepfather of Nikki and Brie Bella, the step father-in-law of Brian Danielson uh, has officially been terminated by WWE. He was in the role of head of talent relations for the last two years. That's after having been removed from the company for an extended period of time. He first joined WWE back in 2001. He was senior vice president of talent relations for a long time, and he had an on-screen authority role. You guys know who John Laurinaitis is. We don't need to spend a lot of time on him, but he was mentioned in the Vince McMahon allegations as part of the investigation that is ongoing with WWE. He was suspended prior to anything happening with Vince McMahon. Certainly Vince retiring a couple weeks ago, 
made it very clear as it was already very clear that John would not remain with WWE long-term. It was only a matter of time before they released him. Well, it officially happened. Um, I don't wish him his best in his future endeavors, but other than that, that's what he would, of course, say to everyone else. Uh, other than that, it is notable that someone who's been such a prominent name in the world of WWE is no longer with the company. That did happen Monday, so I did want to address it on the show. But again, not something I feel like we need to spend that much time on. We've already gone in depth about the Vince McMahon situation. We've covered that in numerous episodes. You can check our archives, and, and we mentioned Laurinaitis as part of those conversations. So, Chris, I just did want to kind of say it here uh, off the top of the show. Yep, I don't really have much to add other than I saw, you know, people making jokes that they wonder if Laurinaitis was told it was budget cuts, if they, if they called right. him, if people played that CM Punk clip from 2011 or so where he kind of ranted at Triple H and uh, in, in Laurinaitis. So, yeah, I mean, he's been suspended. Kind of surprised he lasted longer than Vince technically, but that's the end of that. Yeah, and also, by the way, the brother of Road Warrior Animal, rest in peace. Yes. So forgot to mention that as well. So, okay, that is it, Chris. We have a ton still left to talk about, really everything still left to talk about this week. So let's get right to it and begin, as we always do, by sliding into the main event. And we have two big main event topics this week. The first is the build for Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre at Clash at the Castle in Wales, September 3rd, I believe, uh, first week end in September. Uh, the Bloodline pulled up to SmackDown in separate SUVs to open the show. Roman Reigns wore some fire red pants. Really, really cool. Uh, Sami Zayn later went to their locker room. Jimmy Uso gave him a funny regular handshake, but Jay just wasn't into it at all. Sammy learned that Paul Heyman was at home recovering. He wasn't there. He's obviously been his point of contact with the bloodline really to this point. He wanted to talk to Reigns, but Jay stopped him. Jimmy said, hey, I'll text you later. Sammy tried again and the Usos denied him. Jimmy asked Sammy to go to production and make sure their entrance is perfect because that's what Paul usually does. Sammy came back later. Jimmy said, look, man, a meeting is just not going to happen. Jay was giving him the side eye the entire time. And then he snapped. He said, look, the bloodline, we're all strapped up. We all got titles. You're not pulling your own weight. You don't have shit. This obviously was great. Something as simple as noting that these people communicate backstage and off TV. They have a relationship. They text. It's just such a plus. It, again, it opens up the universe. It opens the world to say, hey, what you're seeing on TV in this, in this scripted bullshit that you were getting, it's not the only thing that's going on. I know that you love them pulling up to the arena in the SUVs. (laughs) And the idea that they aren't rejecting Sammy so much as wanting him to live up to their success and be an equal member of the bloodline, that to me is such an intriguing way to take this storyline. I presume Zayn is going to go after the Intercontinental title because of it, probably get his ass murdered by Gunther. And I think that's going to be an absolute blast. What happens after that? Does... KO move over to SmackDown? Do they team up and go against the Usos? Is that how their title reign eventually ends the Usos? I don't know, but I am fully intrigued. And the stuff with Sammy, I I thought there was a chance that it got dropped with Triple H taking over, but they're going in the opposite direction. They're leaning into it. And I absolutely love it. This is, it feels like they've kind of slowly been building it to a point where this kind of could become a face turn for Sammy Zayn where he's like, he's consistently just trying to be with the cool kids and the cool kids are making fun of him. And they're basically 
kind of done with his bullshit right now, but they know he's still valuable as a lackey to have. It's it's just a really interesting personal dynamic. And you wonder if there's just a point where Sammy snaps and goes after the Usos or goes after the Ro- or goes after Roman at some point. So yeah, obviously I loved the bloodline arriving in the SUVs and walking into the arena. It's always a great way to start a show. And Sammy is one of the most talented people on the roster and can always make something work. So this is this is interesting. You know, they, they've they've kind of hinted at it a couple times where where Usos are like, you're not really one of us. And Sammy keeps trying and keeps trying and keeps trying. And there's a potential there for a really interesting baby face payoff if, if they go down that road at some point. But but as for what's next, yeah, maybe he goes for the IC title. Um, I guess he kind of has to. It's about all there is to do on, on SmackDown. So, uh, yeah, this is this is good. It's just so intriguing, like, for them not to do what you would expect. It's counter-expectation. Dude, you're not part of the bloodline. You're not a family member. You're not an ooze. Like, get out of here, right? That's what you would mm-hmm. expect, perhaps, without Paul Heyman there. Instead, mm-hmm. they're like, hey, dude, you're just not living up to our expectations. Like, you got to step up. That That's just so fun. And, and Ryan... Uh, Eggleston at Ryan Eggleston one. He basically asked us, are Sammy and KO the front runners to beat the Usos after the Uso Sammy segment that's been making the rounds? And I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're on separate brands right now. Uh, Kevin Owens, based on what happened Monday, he's far further from being a baby face than Sammy is. You could turn Sammy face on a dime right now against the bloodline. KO looks to be kind of doing his own thing. But I do think there's something to be said about a superstar tag team being the ones to take the titles off the Usos. It seems like Edge and Rey Mysterio could potentially be getting set up into that on Raw. Uh, Certainly, Sammy with KO or with another wrestler could be that. I don't, there's right now, there is not really, as far as I'm concerned, a legitimate tag team because New Day is not together uh, and they're not going to do New Day Usos because they did it so many times. The Street Profits lost all of their opportunities. Right. Street Profits They're, were the ones to do it. That's why we picked it. They were the ones to do it. And for them not to was shocking and pretty disappointing. I don't think there's a tag team that exists right now in WWE that could do it. There's one other one that I could think of that they could possibly form. That would be DIY. If they brought Johnny Gargano back, split Miz from, um, sorry, split Champa from Miz. Boom. Now you have another one. But again, all three of those teams that we're mentioning don't exist right now. So the Usos don't really have a challenger. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. And it's kind of been the case for it's kind of been the case for a while with the Usos where there just hasn't been a ton of challengers. Look, they've been the champs for, for more than a year. They've been at least one of the champs for more than a year. And they've just had not had that many memorable feuds or stuff going on because there's just not much going on in the tag division. And that that uh, that continues. It does. All right. Let's keep going here with the main storyline. So the bloodline entered for the main event. Much improved augmented reality graphic. They had a a tree with vines showing the bloodline between the three guys. They got a mix of cheers and jeers, but the crowd did pop loud for Acknowledge Me. And they also briefly chanted Tribal Chief, which was pretty cool. Reigns put over Brock Lesnar saying he respects him, but hates him. He sent prayers to Paul Heyman saying he doesn't know when he's going to be back. He's recovering from the F5. Drew McIntyre then entered. And Chris, an awful medieval metal shirt. I just, I couldn't believe how ugly this shirt was. He called Reigns the tribal queef, which popped everyone in the arena and online. I mean, that's incredible, right? And I'm sure Drew's been waiting a long time to do that. He didn't want to wait to fight. Suddenly, as McIntyre is getting closer to the ring, 
Carrying Cross's music hits, we get the full aesthetic with the smoke. Scarlet is at the top of the stage. Suddenly, Cross attacks McIntyre from behind, drives his head into the steel steps, and takes him out with his finisher, a forearm to the back of the head. Not the best finisher, but that's what he does. Scarlet then went up to the ring, took the hourglass, turned it upside down right in front of Reigns, put it on the ring apron, and Cross pointed to his watch, TikTok, basically telling Roman Reigns, your time is up. Now, Chris, this was really well executed, mostly because it was completely out of left field, totally yeah. unexpected. Cross looked refreshed with the hair, without his gimmick gear. He got his entire aesthetic back with the entrance. Scarlet was with him. She's a big part of the presentation. There was NXT continuity. Commentary used all his slogans and sang his praises. The only mistake in the entire moment was not keeping the black and white aesthetic through yes. the end of the show. They yep. flipped to color when they showed Reigns, then they went back to it, and then they got rid of it entirely. They should have kept it from the moment he appeared all the way until it went off the air. I think you guys all know on this podcast, those listening right now, I'm not exactly the biggest fan of Cross. He was pushed way too hard in NXT. His run as champion was rough, to be kind. What happened to him on Raw with the suspenders and the gimp mask was unforgivable. But that wasn't his fault. It was creative that jobbed out the NXT champion to Jeff Hardy in 90 seconds and then made him look like an absolute joke for the next one or two months before actually firing him. But I'm not pessimistic about this like others are expressing. To contextualize Cross, you need to realize Paul Levesque sees Karrion Cross as 2022 Triple H. If he could be a character today, this is what Triple H would be. And Scarlet is very much Stephanie McMahon, maybe a little bit of China mixed in adjacent. She's that extra piece to the pie. That's why Paul books Cross so strong. And what have we discussed ad nauseum here on the podcast, Chris? SmackDown has zero depth in the male singles division. Boom. Now we have a new heel established as an upper mid-carder right off the bat. That's a huge positive. We'll get to what this means from a storyline standpoint in a moment. But Chris, I do want to get you in here. The long and short of it for me, it's a welcome return as far as I'm concerned. I am not overly worried about the booking. Do I love Karrion Cross? Do I think he's a great wrestler? Do I think he should be a future world champion? No, I don't. But is he a damn good hand to have as an upper mid-card heel who clearly has momentum behind him and brings a different feel to a product that is largely the same thing every single week? Yes, he does. And because of that, I'm excited. I freaking love this, man. Like, I know there were people making jokes and whatever and remembering Karrion Cross and, and, you know, the Jeff Hardy stuff and whatever. And people, you know, were happy to see Karrion Cross leave NXT when he did. But I just thought this presentation was so freaking cool because you, it, it, it turns black and white and you see something in the distance. And I was just waiting for the camera cut to show it to me up close. And they didn't do it like that. That's where you're like, you're expecting the WWE camera cut to, I love to that, that point too. to tell you yeah. what it is. Instead, they leave it far away and you're just looking and you're like, what is this? For a second, I was like, is this is this dark Alexa bliss and the fiend is going to come back or something? What exactly is going on? And it's black and white and they cut to Roman Reigns and he's like, what, what is this? And then they cut back. It's black and white again. And then he hits him and you realize it's Karen Cross. And it's just I just thought this presentation was so 
just so dang cool. And I agree with you. It should have stayed black and white uh, every time it showed Karen Cross. It, you know what it reminded me of was, did you see the new uh, Thor movie? I did. It was just like the Shadow Realm where they go get Christian Bale's character. He's like on mm-hmm. that moon. And they as they're walking, well, it goes hey, from spoiler color to black alert, and Please, spoiler alert for other people. Listening, not everyone not a, has seen it. That's not a spoiler. I think for other people it's just, it is. Okay. It's just something that happens. They're just at a place in the movie where everything turns black and white. Sure. And that's what it reminded me of. And I just thought, like, that that's such a cool presentation that's different than, like, the red lights when The Fiend shows up that just, right. like, annoyed everybody. It's a good just kind of, like, little, like, storytelling nudge to kind of make something feel a bit different. And I don't and, need it to be like that every time. But for yeah. this introduction, it should have been. Yeah, or like kind of like when the NWO did their entrance in WWE and it'd be black and white until they got to the ring and then it was exactly. exactly like something, something like that. And another part that was interesting about this was that I don't know what the hell happens next year because we're like not far away from Clash of the Castle. Well, that's what you've we're got. Talk about. Yeah, you've got you've got Drew and Roman happening. Where is Karrion Cross fitting into this? He 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 beat up Drew. He challenges Roman. I don't know, and that's exciting. Like this isn't like a. Uh, they're going to push, they're going to hold off on something and do Drew, Karen Cross or whatever. It it felt new, different, and I don't know what's going to happen next. And that's a, that's a really cool feeling. So I think everything that you said is accurate. I also do accept people, especially UK fans who are preparing for Clash of the Castle, who are initially pessimistic because what have we been waiting for, Chris, for a long ass time? Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre for the title. And we mm-hmm. thought we were going to get it in the main event of Clash of the Castle, and we still might one-on-one. That's what we've expected. But now there's at least the possibility that that doesn't happen. And I think if people are upset about that, especially UK fans who want to see one of their own in the main event possibly take a title off Roman Reigns without any encumbrances or any other people surrounding the title picture, if they are initially pessimistic about that, I totally understand. I've seen immediate speculation that Cross confronting McIntyre and Reigns in this manner means that Triple H has now set him up to be the one to take down Roman Reigns. Stop with that shit, okay? Calm down. There's no way Roman Reigns' title reign ends with Cross instead of (laughs) McIntyre or Cody Rhodes. That would be, or maybe even Riddle, but not Cross. That would be idiotic. And you may not like Triple H booking Karrion Cross strong. He's not an idiot, okay? What mm-hmm. I see here are two different options in terms of the immediate window of what's going to transpire. Option one, Cross joins the clash at the castle match. He becomes the fall guy in a triple threat, either for McIntyre to win something, whether one of the titles, both of the titles, whatever, or Reigns to retain the title. So that way the match finishes without one or the other guy getting pinned. Cross could then feud with McIntyre one-on-one afterward. It gives him something to do. Drew goes over, gets another title match at like Survivor Series, or even heaven forbid, Blood Money in the Sand. Option two, Reigns defends each title separately. They use this as the way to separate the titles. First, He starts the show by beating Cross for the Universal Championship, only to be completely worn down so that in the main event, McIntyre beats him for the WWE title, finally splitting the titles while providing a total excuse for Reigns losing 
yet he stays strong and he maintains his title record run because he would have retained the Universal Championship, which is where that long run is connected. It's like however Mm -hmm. many days it started with the Universal Championship. Either of those two options, to me, makes total sense. The second one is the best case scenario, as far as I'm concerned. They could also do something really convoluted, like a two falls triple threat match where the first fall is for the WWE title and the second fall is for the Universal title. But I think that's way too confusing. I understand, like I said, why UK fans will be annoyed if Cross is inserted into this, especially if it's a triple threat match. But at the end of the day, if this does result in a title change or it results in the titles being split, which would really be the best case scenario, if that does happen, it's going to be a real positive development because both titles, as we've said, being stuck around his waist, it has really hurt Raw. Yeah, yeah, those are, I don't love a lot of those options, mostly because I just wanted um, Drew to beat Roman at Clash of the Castle and give him the moment, like that's the moment. But the having two titles thing remains an issue, and if McIntyre takes it off Roman, it's still an issue. So I I don't know. I, I, I Again, I don't know what's going to happen here, and that I, I'm I'm intrigued by that, while also trusting that Triple H will handle this properly. And this this is where it comes back to the way people felt about NXT for a long time, and not how they felt about the main roster for a long time. Which was ultimately, I trust that Triple H is not going to give us a result that we're going to hate out of all mm-hmm. this. Um. But if he does, I'll complain about it. But but, it, but we're at the point here where I'm I'm going to be given a benefit of the doubt for the time being. Yeah, it feels like Cross is being used as a piece to make something happen as opposed to be the piece that something happens to. I just yeah. think people are kind of being a little bit too pessimistic for some, especially given that Triple H has provided us with no reason to be pessimistic to this point. And we should all have open minds uh, and hearts. Eyes, full eyes. What is it? Full eyes, full hearts can't lose. Whatever that is. I never saw that show. Clear um, eyes, full heart, can't Clear lose. eyes. So that's how I feel about Triple H right now. I, 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 we're in a, a no-lose situation until it's proven that he's going to screw stuff up. And, and that hasn't been the case to this point. So, you know, do I love Cross? Is he my favorite wrestler? No. Does he have a spot in the main roster? Absolutely. This character in NXT, it was made for the main roster. It yes. never belonged in NXT. And then when it got, finally got called up, when he finally got called up, he lost everything that made him attractive and unique, which guess what was not his in-ring ability or promo skills. It's the aesthetic. It's Char- yes. uh, Scarlet. It's that, I almost called her Charlotte. Scarlet. It's it's that whole, the presence of a, building a monster. You're building a character around this guy. What would Kane have been without the mask and the gear and the fire. He would have been a big guy who could move pretty well in the ring. That's kind of like Karrion Cross. I mean, Kane is far better than Cross. don't get me wrong, in terms of as a wrestler. I'm simply saying, you know, the, when when what we got to see from Cross when we saw him on Raw was literally the worst possible version of that character that we could possibly get. This guy that we have right now was far similar to the man I interviewed on this podcast a couple of years ago that type of hitman aura, 
where something special is going on and he's dangerous. And you never know what he's going to do. And I look, he had, he had the leather. He had, he had the leather jacket on too, and like that that hitman look. It wasn't like a big spooky type of thing. Although I cannot wait for that first main entrance, a uh, main roster entrance. The whole deal with the smoke and the ring and Scarlet yeah. singing. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I welcome something different and unique because everyone else. I'm not saying everyone's entrance is exactly the same, but they mostly are. It's normal people come into the ring with sometimes pyro, sometimes not. Sometimes good music, sometimes not. Sometimes they get in the ring and there's pyro. Most of the time there isn't. And, and you're done. Maybe there's an AR graphic here and there. Carrying Cross was something totally different. And he brings an edge to the product that it badly needs. As long as they don't over push him, I think everyone's going to be very happy with the end result. Yep. All right. So let's move to the second part of our main event. On SmackDown, WWE announced a tournament for the vacant Women's Tag Team Championships. They said it would begin Monday on Raw, which it certainly did. And we're going to get to all of that. But Chris, my very first thought when I saw the announcement was Sasha Banks and Naomi. Because announcing this so soon after Triple H takes over with no tag teams really established, it presents the obvious opportunity for Sasha and Naomi to confront the eventual winners for a unification match. We've seen stuff like this happen all the time. Whenever there's an interim title, you go back to the Shawn Michaels, uh, Razor Ramon situation that led to the original ladder match. It just felt to me good to know that the tournament was happening and that a return of Sasha and Naomi is at least more of a possibility than it's ever been before. And even besides that, just that they remembered that they promised us (laughs) Women's tag That's what I'm saying, that we're getting it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whether or not Sasha and Naomi show up at the end of this, it's good to know that the titles still exist, that they're going to have something in it again. Is something like, all right, you kind of trust that Triple H is in charge. He's going to make things matter again. So I'm with you in that it feels like it's teed up for a situation where Sasha and Naomi show up to confront the winners. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm just excited to have this tournament. Me too. Now, Raw started with the tournament participants announced. They are. Tamina and Dana Brooke, Io Sky and Dakota Kai, Alexa Bliss and Asuka, Nikki Ash and Dewdrop, Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah, Zia Lee and Shotzi, Nikita Lyons and Zoe Stark from NXT, Natalia and Sonya Deville. Some quick notes here. Raquel getting the weakest opponent in Aaliyah, it could potentially explain a first round exit. We'll find out whenever that match happens. Otherwise, that team is just absurd to be together. Lyons and Stark being the NXT team for me, is a total shocker. Stark is the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship right now. Nikita is nowhere near ready for the main roster. Now, that might give away Stark losing the title match to Mandy Rose in two weeks that I thought she could potentially win. All the other teams make sense, but the field is completely uninspiring. If this was going to be the case, I would have liked a mystery team. I would have liked main roster women going to NXT and picking individuals from NXT, individual women, to team with them for some variety. Because WWE, when they announced the tournament on SmackDown, they talked about all the women needing to find partners. So going back, Raquel Rodriguez going back and picking someone she liked from NXT to team with her is far more interesting than just grabbing Aaliyah, who's not going to contribute shit. Plus, you have Dana Brooke, Tamina, and Aaliyah in this 
but where's Rhea Ripley and Carmella? Why couldn't Ripley recruit a woman to join the Judgment Day? So I was just really disappointed with this field to start. I have to tell it like I see it. I'm glad they're doing the tournament after the first match, which we're going to talk about in a moment. I'm glad to know that all the matches are going to get time. That's a huge improvement from the Queen's Crown. But in terms of the teams that we have, the women that we have competing in this, it does feel like it's a pretty lackluster tournament. Uh, a little bit. I, I think it's okay. I, I mean, I think, you know, you've got, you know, you've got Dakota Kai and Neo Sky in there. And, you, you know, so there is a, a, a mixture there. Dewdrop and Nikki Ash makes sense. Some of these teams make sense. Some of them don't. But you've also we we also don't really know yet uh, what the future. I, I I mean I guess part of them are, are, are mixed up in the Bianca Bailey stuff. So you've got some of the single the top singles wrestlers who are off doing a separate thing. You know, does Carmella show up in there at all? Obviously, Becky Lynch is hurt. Um, it is missing some of that star power. Charlotte's not around. So I it, it is surprising Zelina Vega hasn't been around in forever. Carmella Zelina she's Vega. She's injured. She's thing. injured and recovering, but Carmella okay, is healthy. But Carmella yeah. Healthy. So in in terms of who else could be in it, outside of those two, you know, it it, it it's kind of what they've got, and I, I'm fine with it. It's not great, but it's something. And for as long for as long as these tag team titles have existed, there just was not a women's tag team division. So just making a bunch of random tag teams, maybe you find a good couple of tag teams out of doing something like that. And and so we'll see. It, it, it is a bit lackluster, but I also wasn't expecting, I guess, a ton more. I wasn't expecting a ton more, but I just think it would have been cool if like Oscar went down and grabbed Saray or Natalia grabbed Tiffany Stratton. So it's like a, a veteran and a youngster and they're teaming up and you get to be introduced to this new talent. And I'm not necessarily saying that Stratton's ready for the main roster either, because she's not. But certainly Nikita Lyons isn't. And Zoe Stark is literally in a feud where she's the number one contender to possibly be the next NXT Women's Champion. So it, it just, as someone who watches NXT and thought, man, they really have an opportunity to like shake up this division, to really just have like, and I, I love Nikki Cross, and I love, love Piper Nevin, but Nikki Ash and Dewdrop, like, you know, they've been a tag team and it's boring. Dana Brooke, no one believes that she's going to do anything. Tamina, we saw what Tamina can do, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. It's just, I wanted a little bit more. I thought they had a, re a really good chance to like make a statement with the tag team tournament. And instead they kind of just put one together. Is that the end of the world? As long as the right winners wind up with the titles at the end? No, it's not the end of the world. I just thought it could be a little bit better. One other thing I, I wanted to say with all of these great changes, Triple H is making. Can we not change Dewdrop's name? Like, it's so bad. They even misspelled it on the original graphic. D-U-O. They called her Duo Drop, which I guess as a tag team makes more sense. But you don't even need to explain it. Like, I know we always want them to explain changes and why this happens. I don't care. Have her show up one day as Piper Nevin. Call her that. Don't even explain that Dewdrop ever existed. Just get her out from under that name. Please. I agree. I would love for them to go back to what they were. <laughs> No, nothing more than that. I really like Dewdrop, but we just we don't like the name. Although I, honestly, I do like her theme. But yeah, bring back Piper Nevins. They, her they, themes, her themes, not bad. Yeah. Look, look, they were dealing with some sort of car accident in the background on Monday Night Raw, so who knows? <laughs> and we will talk about that. By the way, also yes. both of them from Europe, so the ability for them to. I mean, I'm not suggesting are they I both want them in the finals? Scottish, aren't they? I, I think they're both Scottish. Yeah. So the the. Yeah 
ability for them to possibly be in the title match at Clash of Champions is great, except they're Nikki Ash and Dewdrop instead of Nikki Cross and Piper Nevin, who could mm-hmm. then really play into that and get the crowd behind them and be hometown. Like, it would be cool to do that. So, I don't know. It just it feels like a huge missed opportunity with both of them. I appreciated that they tried the Nikki Ash thing. Dewdrop, I was so happy they called her up and she's had some good matches, but they can do far better for both of them. So we're going to keep talking about the women's division because the main storyline on Raw also does kind of intertwine with the women's tag team titles. So Bailey opened Raw. She was really annoyed how much Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair have been featured. She said Bianca would be nothing without her. Bailey said the attack last week was to take advantage of Becky's shoulder and light a fire under the entire division. She asked how she is the only one to realize that Io Sky and Dakota Kai are incredible. She got a ton of heat from the crowd before Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss entered. Bliss and Asuka taunted as potential second round opponents for Sky and Kai. Belair wanted Io solo. She said, I want to fight you again and finish what we started. But she also wanted a three on three fight between their groups. Bailey challenged for Clash of the Castle. The faces accepted. And then Belair took a shot at Bailey, and they all brawled into the crowd. Bliss jumped off the barricade to splash everyone. And it was a pretty good brawl that had to be uh, separated by agents and referees. Typically strong promo from Bailey. Pretty impressive also because it's the first time she's spoken in front of live fans in two and a half years because of the pandemic and her being injured and all that type of stuff. The brawl was great. I will say the camera work legitimately made me want to vomit. It was so chaotic that like my eyes hurt trying to watch the screen. Two things bothered me. The first is this group not having a name still. It seems like it's going to be control. They keep teasing it. But we're like two weeks into this now. They had a promo by themselves in the ring. Why not just come out and say, we are control or whatever the hell they're going to be called. The second issue, this six-woman match is booked four weeks out while the women's tag team title tournament is ongoing. What if one or both of, well, I guess not both because they're going to fight each other in the second round. But what if one of these teams are in the final? I presume they're going to hold the final in Wales. Sky and Kai are clearly the favorites. So either this tournament wraps up early inside of four weeks, which I don't even know if it's possible, given they only gave us one match on Monday night, or WWE kind of gave away an upset saying the titles aren't going to be defended on the show and neither of these teams are going to have them. So I just thought it was really odd for them to book this match so early. I know they want to sell tickets for the show. I get it. But I thought it was weird to book the three-on-three version of this so quickly while the tag team tournament is still ongoing with two teams from these six women in the tournament. Yeah, I guess, I guess did they announce? Uh, I don't think the they fi- said that they the would be defended. Would be? I, don't, yeah, I don't think I don't they think said they so. Either. I'm just saying based on time, it seems like that's what they're doing. It could be. I, I mean, if it was for sure going to happen, I feel like they would have announced it there. Maybe they don't know. I, I, I don't know. But that, that's that's a, that's a fair point as well. In, in terms of the, the, the brawl and everything, I loved it. I mean, obviously the camera work wasn't great, but I really thought it had a lot of energy. The crowd was really into it. You don't We don't get many women's brawls generally. So I, I think it was a good way to continue just the energy that is brought by Bailey and, you know, this group together. So, um, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a really good just exciting, you know, kind of start. And, and yeah, I, I'm, you know, you announced the six woman tag team way ahead of time. I was, again, wasn't sure if they were going to do a couple more matches and eventually build to it, but they did a good job last week of telling this, 
This was the main story throughout Raw last week. It built up to that DQ finish that we said we were okay with. So mm-hmm. it naturally kind of makes sense to do this next. So you know, it was good. I was, I, was, I was fine with it. By the way, I should note that on the Clash at the Castle poster, which is still being used for WWE, just since we're talking about it, Cody Rhodes and Becky Lynch are still on it. Uh, both of them obviously injured, just something to note. And the other thing, this is the third match set for Clash at the Castle. Uh, we also have a women's championship match from SmackDown. We will discuss that in the good, the bad, and the ugly. I just didn't want anyone to think that we missed it. So we will get to that in a moment. But quickly, we do need to finish up what happened in this storyline on Raw. We had Tamina and Dana Brooke against Io Sky and Dakota Kai in the first women's tag team championship tournament match. Before the match, the faces got a short promo backstage. The heels interrupted. Bailey recalled her history with the titles. Dana was then introduced as the 24-7 champion, and she had the title with her. That's after us not seeing it for two or three weeks on TV. Dana had a flying crossbody outside. There was a decently loud Bailey sucks chant. The heels dominated with double teams until Tamina, of all people, got the hot tag. Bailey saved Kai from a handspring elbow outside. Brooke ran herself into the barricade. Sky got her boots up on a splash from Tamina. Then Kai hit a scorpion kick before Sky tagged back in for the moonsault and the win in 10 minutes. I tweeted this, and it's unfortunate to say, but Tamina dragged down this entire match. I respect all of the work she's done fighting to get women's wrestling more legitimate on the main roster over her entire career. And longtime listeners know, I actually thought she would have she should have won the title a few years ago when she was in that short feud. I thought they could use her as a transitional champion, give her that moment in the sun, and it would be really cool. But what Monday night told me is that her in-ring career needs to be over. She could not keep up. She could barely carry herself in the ring with the rest of the women. The match was fine, but she was unfortunately like an albatross on the entire thing. Also of note, this match was 10 minutes long. That's nearly as long as the entire Queen's Crown tournament in terms of in-ring time. That whole tournament went 13.34. So three minutes and 30 seconds approximately into the second match of this tournament, the women will have more in-ring time than the entire Queen's Crown tournament. I don't have much more to say other than I was disappointed that this was the only women's match on Raw Monday night. Yeah, disappointed the only match. Glad it got, you know, decent time, like we said. And with Tamina, like, yeah, you know, it's always been a limiting factor with her. And now, you know, with more and more women coming into the company in various spots, it stands out even more. You know, she's she's used on that WWE Rivals show as one of like the table analysts, you know, she'd be a great manager or just bodyguard muscle type of character. There, there's there's a lot of different things you can still do with her. But yeah, match, you know, wasn't great. But like you said, I, I was going to drop that Queen's Crown stat as well. So it's it's at, le- at least I got time with the match. At least. And, and there again, there weren't a ton of women's matches on the show, but we got the big brawl. You know, we got promo segments. We got backstage stuff. So it's not like this was the only women's segment on. The no, the, the women were featured all over the entire show. Yes. Like in every hour, there were multiple times that we saw the women. But again, when you have so many matches in a show and you have so many women and and by the way, you're doing a tournament. Why not just do the other first round match? I, instead of doing Dolph Ziggler and Chad Gable, why not do one women's match early in the show and one women's tag team match later in the show? I, I didn't really understand that. Yeah, I agree. That's it. All right, so that is it for the main event of today's show, but we have a ton left to talk about from SmackDown and Raw, and we are going to get to every ounce of it in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your mom- 
get funny in them days ain't sunny. We showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. Now, if memory serves, Chris, I think last week was our first all good week in podcast history. Is that correct? I feel like we had one bad. It might Did have we? been a twenty four seven segment or something. No, no, there was no twenty four seven last week. I, I, I think I think we had one. Was it Viking Raiders and New Day? Maybe. Yeah, that, for me, probably it was. Okay, but we were close. It was almost an Pretty all much, good yeah. segment, and I think this week it's going to be almost an all good segment as well. So let's start with a big storyline that I just teased a minute ago from SmackDown: Liv Morgan and the SmackDown Women's Championship. So Liv addressed the SummerSlam finish. They brought her out to the ring. She wore an arm brace to sell Ronda Rousey's arm bar. Liv did get a big pop for her entrance, but when that calmed down, she actually got a decently loud you tapped out chant. Production bleeped her, saying she appreciated fans calling her on her shit. Liv said she only tapped because she thought the referee had already counted to one, two, three. Sonya Deville interrupted, saying she was happy Rousey attacked Liv after the bell, but Adam Pierce sucks at his job. It was kind of a non sequitur. Uh, Deville loved seeing Morgan hurt and promised to take her title. There was a Ronda Rousey chant during the start of a gauntlet match that was used to determine the number one contender. And then later in that match, there was actually a Liv Morgan chant, which was pretty cool. I just definitely, Chris, didn't expect the crowd to turn on Liv in favor of Rousey. This was a notably boisterous crowd in South Carolina, but Mm -hmm. rejecting Liv was strange given how over she's been. Liv and commentary were both clearly surprised by it. Kayla Braxton was also. Remember when Daniel Bryan called the fans fickle? This is what he was talking about. These are fickle fans. Now, I've seen some opinions turn about the SummerSlam finish, saying it hurt Liv. Could it have been executed better? Absolutely. But the actual wrong idea was not the SummerSlam finish. It was doing this segment, thinking a babyface champion needed to come out and explain herself. WWE fans have told us consistently they do not want one-note, goody-two-shoes baby faces. It's 2022. Look what happened with Bailey a few years ago. Look what happened with Alexa Bliss for a period of time. Look what happened with Nikki Ash when people initially were into it, then they overpushed her and they completely turned on her. WWE needed to learn its lesson from all of those women and make sure the same thing did not happen with Liv Morgan. And by putting her out there to explain why she tapped out and should have lost the title was just a bad decision all over, you know, from start to finish. WWE had Liv spend a month smiling and crying and holding up her title and being so happy. There has to be more to her than that. There's the man Becky Lynch, the boss Sasha Banks, the EST Bianca Belair, the role model Bailey, although she's a heel. Liv can be a face and the fans push her to prominence. That's all fine. But now that she's champion, she needs to be more than a goody two shoes baby face. Unfortunately, this was bad. I don't know if I would give it a bad. It was just, it was a really fascinating dynamic getting booed for, like you said, the you tapped out. That's correct. You're, you are right when you said they shouldn't have brought her out this way. This shouldn't be the follow up to what happened there. You That's know, why it was bad, though. It shouldn't have it, happened. What, but <laughs> I, in terms of what happened, like, I didn't hate what we saw. Like, it was a surprise to them, clearly. Like, and I thought Liv, you know, Liv. In the ring, doing a promo has always been the weakness of her spot. They, you know, they had somebody interview her to kind of help her along a little bit. Her reacting to the booze and trying to handle it in a in a in a way was 
a good attempt. Like like that was that was progress from her, I think, to be able to acknowledge that and respond to it. I think back to when Bailey started getting booed, you know, as the hugger, like you mentioned, and she didn't quite know how to handle the, the crowd at that exact time. So it it's an important it's an important moment. But you're right. This is where Liv's character has to become something more. And, you know, she she she's smiling and, and crying and all this stuff. She wins. She's still talking about being the underdog. Like, you're not the underdog anymore. You technically have two wins over Ronda Rousey right now. And you got to be like, I'm a strong champion. That's where we got to get to next with her. And, you know, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get into, into that more. But I don't think this was bad. Um. If you don't think it's bad, it's, then you have to call it good. So. It's it's a low good. Like it wasn't okay. bad. It was fine. Okay. So like I'll, I'll give it a I'll give it, I guess I'll give it a low good. All right. Well, we had the aforementioned gauntlet match to determine a number one contender for Liv Morgan's SmackDown Women's Championship. It started with Sonya Deville against Aaliyah. Sonya won with an inverted slam called Deville's Advocate in two minutes. Felt a little forced to me. Uh, didn't love the finisher either. Sonya then fought Raquel Rodriguez. Raquel hit a corkscrew elbow splash and the Texana bomb for the win in three minutes. Raquel then fought Shotzi. She eliminated her the exact same way in a few minutes. That was really the one part of this that disappointed me. I thought Shotzi should have had a nice run in there with Raquel. Uh, Rodriguez then fought Zaya Lee. Zaya got some offense early, but Raquel beat her identically in a couple of minutes. Rodriguez then fought Natalia. There was a cool spot with Raquel rolling through a move on the ground, lifting Natalia into mm-hmm. a vertical suplex. Rodriguez got a rope break on a sharpshooter and then took Natty off the ropes with a Tahana bomb. And then finally, we had Rodriguez against Shayna Baszler. Shayna worked her arm, which was weird because Raquel was selling a knee the entire match. Baszler caught Rodriguez's elbow with the Carafita clutch, but Raquel stood up with Shayna on her back and reached the ropes. Rodriguez tried to catch Baszler in a pinning combination, but Baszler reversed it. She held on to the Carafita clutch and beat a tired Rodriguez in about six minutes. There was a short stare down with Liv as commentary explained how Shayna's submission's prowess basically made Liv's arm injury a particular issue, made her vulnerable in the match. And look, most of the women in this match are solid to good in the ring, but the lack of reaction to most of them and most of the short matches, it was just proof of how poor the booking has been on SmackDown over all these months and years. But we have to note also, the women's division on SmackDown is missing its entire top tier right now. Ronda Rousey's out. Charlotte Flair is out. Sasha Banks and Naomi were there. Are they coming back? We don't know, but they're not there and they were supposed to be. Plus, even Lacey Evans isn't there right now. This is all they had left. People who have mostly been featured on TV barely every once in a while. The match was fine. Most importantly, Baszler was absolutely the right winner and Raquel was the right person to get the long run. Having Baszler beat Rodriguez the way she did and making a submission specialist the challenger for a champion who has an injury, all of that is super smart. But if you juxtapose this 21-minute gauntlet with Chris, you remember that 45-minute women's gauntlet we got on Raw like earlier in 2022 with Rhea mm-hmm. Ripley getting the run and Bianca Belair mm-hmm. winning it at the end? There is no comparison whatsoever in terms of in-ring match quality between this one and that one. This could not hold the candle to that match. I'll say good because the booking was done appropriately and I'm really not sure that it could have been better than what we got, but it just didn't hold the candle to what we know a women's gauntlet can be with the best women in WWE. 
I agree, and it's it's like you said, it's because of the the people who were involved. Like like just you know, they're either a lot of those people are on Raw now, or they're just injured, or they're not around. Like yeah, it, this was missing the heavy hitters, so you couldn't go forty five minutes for what it was. It was it was fine. Sonya Deville to to start. I gotta say, I didn't love the outfit just because I think she she wears the the suits so incredibly well now she was wrestling so she wasn't going to come out in a suit to, to wrestle but i hope like if she comes out to do promos or does backstage stuff that she's not necessarily dressed that way just because i think she wears the suit well but i gotta give a shout out to the finisher that she has and it's called the deville's advocate yeah i said that right that's okay. amazing that's, yeah it's okay i popped I pop so big for that name because I'm a big I, I'm a big fan of puns. I wrote it in all caps in my notes. I, I just I popped you <laughs> said that that's what it was called. Right result, right person to make the run like Raquel and Shayna Baszler getting a title match, you know, again, is interesting. And it 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 plays into, you know, she went through Ronda Rousey. Now she has to fight someone with a similar kind of style. And, and you know, we've seen Shayna Baszler get pinned while trying to make someone tap out before. So it creates an interesting dynamic. I don't think the promos back and forth between Liv and Shayna are going to be great, so I'm curious how they handle that. But as for this gauntlet match in this segment and what it's set up, uh, certainly a good. Yeah, it was just a rough start to Morgan's kind of title reign overall without Rousey, without that involvement. Because what they did with Rousey actually was pretty good leading mm-hmm. into SummerSlam. But... Yeah, I mean, she's she's being handicapped. And that's one of the reasons why they had her win the SmackDown titles, because that division needs women that people can cheer for and get excited about. It's just not a great division right now. And so uh, Baszler was absolutely the right person to win. I think their match is going to be really damn good. And it also keeps Liv in the former MMA fighter world with Rousey and Baszler. By the way, I think Rousey and Baszler would have been a great women's tag team if instead of suspending Rousey, they could have had Rousey and Baszler win the women's tag team titles and then possibly have Sasha Banks and Naomi come back and look at their look at that marquee match that you have right there. Like that would have been super cool. They decided not to do it. I was a little disappointed by it. Um but ultimately the right winner and I do think it'll be a solid match for Clash of the Castle. Uh, the Miz and Champa were interviewed backstage on Raw. Champa said Harley Race his trainer and the first ever United States champion believed in him so much that he wanted to dedicate His win, he assumed he would win, in the United States Championship match on Monday to Harley. He claimed this is going to be his moment, saying Bobby Lashley is going to feel like he already lost as soon as the bell rings. Champa is so freaking good on the mic, and we finally got to hear it on a main roster TV show. They've been relegated to social media promos for the last month, but this was awesome. Plus, when is the last time you heard Harley Race's name Mentioned on WWE TV, they said it like a dozen times. This was such a simple yet impactful promo. And Champa also, he washed the dye out of his beard that Vince McMahon made him dye brown. The gray streaks are back. I'm sure we're going to see even more of them in the coming weeks. Obviously, this was good. Definitely good. And this is this was an example of, again, last week, Champa gets pushed into the spot. Nobody really knows much about him. You kind of got to give some backstory here but he's still technically a heel. So you talk about him training with Harley Race. That brings some legit that brings more legitimacy legitimacy to his his track record. He goes over the top with it a bit like a heel and off you go. So this was great. Loved it. 
So then we had the United States Championship match, which was built heavily, not just last week, yes. leading into this week, advertised heavily as well. Bobby Lashley defending against Champa. There was a shorter video package similar to the one last week that ended with Champa and Lashley highlights. Champa walked out to the ring in Harley Race's robe with Miz in a suit at ringside. Lashley threw Champa into Miz outside. Champa loosened a turnbuckle pad. Lashley hit the Dominator for a two count. Lashley escaped fairy tale ending and hit a spear, but Miz put Champa's foot on the ropes. AJ Styles attacked out of the crowd to chase Miz away. Champa ripped off the turnbuckle pad but ate a face buster. Miz and Styles then ran through the ring, which distracted, nearly caused a no contest. Champa ran Lashley's face into the exposed turnbuckle. Then he put him shoulder first into the post before hitting a pump knee for a great false finish. I thought that was the end of the match. Lashley then escaped fairytale ending. Champa locked Lashley in the Gargano escape, but he deadlifted Champa to get out of it. Champa then caught Lashley in the ropes and hit Willow's Bell, one of his finishers, for another false finish. Lashley caught another pump knee try. He hit the almighty Spinebuster and put Champa in the hurt lock to get the submission win in 13 minutes. Was this an amazing match? I'm not going to say it was amazing, but it was extremely well wrestled and the booking was fantastic. As I said last week, it was great for Champa to get elevated in this way, but you could not legitimately strap this guy up this quickly by having him beat a main eventer and world champion like Bobby Lashley. The Gargano escape was a chef's kiss of a tease, and Corey Graves calling out DIY, his former tag team champas with Johnny Gargano, was great. The false finishes were enough to create doubt on more than one occasion. I legitimately thought they were going to change the title. Lashley sold his ass off on the Willow's Bell that elevated DDT kind of off the ropes. That was incredible to see. We got respect for Harley Race. Champa looked awesome. The United States Championship was elevated all in just two short weeks. And we got the proper winner with Lashley retaining and Champa being made completely legitimate from the match. Definitely good. And I gave it four stars and an A minus. This is how you make somebody look good in a loss. This is what we always say. Like, like having Lashley squash Champa wouldn't make Lashley look any better. This both elevated Champa to make him look like he could push Bobby Lashley to the limit. There were, like you said, multiple false finishes. There were, I thought it might actually happen. And I was ready to like tweet about Triple H or something like that. Like I was ready for it to happen. They really got me on a few of those. Bobby Lashley comes out of it, looks like a million bucks again. People are, Bobby Lashley is super over right now. Remains probably the top male face on Raw. Uh, this was great. This was spectacular. Like this is exactly what you want. Out of this, two guys, two very different styles, big guy, smaller guy, and yet it was totally believable. I just, I just thought this was great. This is the kind of thing where it's a situation we never would have gotten when Vince McMahon in, in charge. And this is, this is the kind of thing where this is why people wanted Triple H to be in charge, because you would get something like, like this that would elevate both guys and be extremely entertaining in the process. I cannot think of a two-week or four-week span where the U.S. Championship or Intercontinental Championship has been handled better than this in the last two years or so. Like, I cannot think of a short-term feud that was built, or even, honestly, man, even a long-term feud, but a short-term feud that was built around either title that elevated it, elevated all the people that competed for it, and gave us not one, 
but four really good matches. We got the two triple threats and the one-on-one last week, and we got the title match this week. All of them were bangers to some degree, and everyone that competed in them was elevated from it. This is what the mid card is supposed to be. You take people, some can lose, others win, some get elevated, they become main eventers, other become, others become upper mid carders, and you have the strongest guy in your division for the most of the time retain the title until you find that individual person who should be the one to take the title off him. It, it, it was perfect. Again, the match wasn't a five-star match, but the handling, the booking, the creative, last week and this week, you really could not have asked for more. I don't have a single thing that I can criticize coming out of the entire thing. Last week, what did I tell you? I said, the one criticism I'll have, Chris, is if they put the title on Champa, And they didn't do it. And they teased us that they were going to do it. And they still didn't do it. I mean, what it, else could you want? It, in, in two weeks, we got Champa getting a triple threat win, a win over Age of Styles, pushing Bobby Lashley to the limit, revealing that he trained under Harley Race. Like, like, think about how much of a foundation of a character has just been built there in two weeks. Like the and next he got a better weeks, theme and he lost the, the dye from his beard. I mean, the next, <laughs> the next time we see him in the ring, you have to take that guy seriously. Absolutely. He can just, beat anyone. He can beat, he can beat almost anyone on the roster now in, in the eyes of the fan, right? Yes, maybe with exactly. the exceptions of like Roman Reigns and maybe like a Cody yeah, yeah. Rhodes or Lashley. Yeah. Outside of those guys, or maybe Drew McIntyre, he can go up against and beat anyone that you put him in the ring with now. And yep, it's viewed exactly. as legitimate. And it's great. Uh, so continuing this storyline, AJ Styles and The Miz, because of that, uh, you know, running through the match and the attack, they continued brawling backstage and they ended up getting booked in the main event, a no disqualification match between Styles and Miz. This was announced during the third hour of the show. As I said, it developed during the US title match, which I think was at 10 p.m. anyway. So there was only that time to develop it. Miz literally threw Styles off an announce table over the barricade in a really unexpected spot. Styles took out a table. Miz grabbed a kendo stick that Styles stole for a white Russian leg sweep. Good call out by Corey Graves. I appreciated the ECW reference there. Styles countered the skull crushing finale, then hit the phenomenal forearm. But Champa pulled the referee out of the ring. Styles threw him right back in the ring, but he stopped right as he was about to hit a Styles clash. Instead, he put him on the ring apron and eventually punched him. He flew off of it into a table outside. Styles then went for the phenomenal forearm back inside on the Miz, but Miz threw a chair at his head and hit skull crushing finale for a really surprising false finish. I thought he was going to win right there. And then after being silent all match, the crowd didn't make a single noise all match. The crowd starts chanting, this is awesome, really, really loud. If it was so awesome, why didn't you speak up earlier? Anyway, Styles countered a figure for a leg lock by booting Miz into a chair that was propped between the turnbuckles. Then he hit Styles' clash to get the win in 12 minutes. I thought the match was fine. The fake out finishes with Champa and the chair shot were really cool. And this was good overall because it wasn't bad. Did it hit for me like some major main event match? No, but it got the job done and it ended a show that had plenty on it already. It ended a show with AJ Styles on top and a reminder that this guy is a dude that is a former world champion, one of the best in the business. And this was a potentially good culmination of a story that had been told leading back to the beginning of the Logan Paul stuff. You know, like it was it was originally AJ was involved in that and then he just kind of wasn't. So it makes us to kind of bring it back in, do a great match, bring some closure to that and elevate AJ to remind everybody that this guy can can do anything. So, yeah, it, you know, it wasn't the most amazing main event, but it was an exciting match. It was something that had been built to and you come out of it, you know, with with people looking good. So Great. Loved it. 
We had uh, Kevin Owens against Ezekiel in a surprise match that was not previously announced. Owens attacked him immediately at the bell, throwing Zeke into the announce table and the ring post, and then hitting his infamous apron powerbomb all inside of 45 seconds. KO stood stoic over Zeke as he didn't move, and then he laughed at him in the ring as paramedics attended to him. I, it was called a no contest, I presume, because the bell never rang afterward. Later in the loading dock, Owens said he knows who he is, and with more people watching Raw now than in a long time, he wanted to remind everyone in the back and all of the fans that this is still the Kevin Owens show. And I should also mention, because I didn't earlier in the show, Raw last week, this is what Owens was referring to, Raw last week had its highest rating since 2020. That is how much interest was generated coming out of SummerSlam and with the this being the Triple H era. So March Huge. 2020, it was, it was the first no fans Raw, so pre-pandemic, yeah. early 2020. So it was the highest rated Raw since then. Now we should note this week, we obviously taped the show before the Raw ratings come out. Given what happened, uh, major breaking news story, also Better Call Saul, I think it's the second or third to final episode. There's a lot of competition for Raw this particular Monday night. I don't expect the rating to be what it was last week. Hopefully it's still high, but... There was a pretty big uh, news story here in the United States that I think is going to eat into its rating a bit. But nevertheless, that's what Owens was referring to. But Chris, this was everything, dude. Like we got the original prize fighter KO back from NXT. WWE addressed a feud that ended but was extended because they were going to do the King of the Ring match or not the King of the Ring, the uh, Money in the Bank qualifying match. I'm sorry. So they extended it unnecessarily. But they said, hey, you remember that thing that we extended for no reason? We're just going to end it to you. We're not going to forget that we did that, but we're just going to have Owens absolutely murder Zeke, who I presume is going to return either as Elias, adopt another gimmick, or maybe even go to NXT. If it, my beard, how long it takes to grow my beard is any indication. It's probably going to take him three or four months before he gets back to grow that thing out again. But this was smart all the way around, especially because more than anything else, it established Owens again as a violent, dominant force. Again, it gave someone an edge that they have been missing because Owens has been doing comedy shit. Just like Karrion Cross over on SmackDown, now we have violent, no idea what he's going to do next, Kevin Owens on Raw. Plus, Zeke needed to end. I think you and I both liked it. We agreed it worked. But after the KO feud, there was really nowhere else to go with it. How long are you going to gaslight people? Eventually, there has to be an end. So for me, everything they did with Owens, getting rid of Zeke, this was good. When Kevin Owens first comes out for the match with Zeke, I was like, what? I was like, we're, we're, we're just we're doing this again. This is so weird. This is such an old WWE thing to to just bring back. And then immediately you figure out that, no, this is something different. And it yeah. actually was the perfect way to close it. Like if you were going to announce that old Kevin Owens is back, there's no better way to do it than to do it against Zeke here. And yeah, doing the apron powerbomb was a clear signal to everybody of what kind of Kevin Owens this is. So again. That's exciting. And he got a pretty big pop there in Cleveland, you know, when he showed up. You know, he he's a guy who literally since WrestleMania, when he main evented one of the nights, has not done much of anything. And it's been extremely weird. It, it, the Ezekiel stuff, we thought it was really funny for a while. You know, it, it, it did what it was going to do. But we were waiting for Kevin Owens to get out of that and into something bigger. And it just never happened. So this is a this is a really good sign for Obviously, one of the most talented guys on the roster. Now, we did bury one of the more interesting things that people are talking about coming out of Raw. But the reason for that, Chris, was because we wanted to kind of 
go through all of the other segments that this intertwined with. So we saved it for this moment. So while Owens was cutting his parking lot promo, there were a bunch of people in the background, including Dewdrop and Nikki Ash. They were gathered around a black Mercedes that ran into some like big red metal or concrete box or something. I couldn't really tell what it was. Later in the show, Dewdrop and Nikki cut a promo about their match. Next week, they're facing Bliss and Asuka. Bliss and Asuka answered them with a promo from the parking lot. And in the background, you saw the car being loaded onto a flatbed trailer. Then Bailey, EO, and Dakota came up to talk shit to Bliss and Asuka when suddenly a bunch of police ran from the car past them in a hurry. So fast forward to the main event. After Styles and Miz, a guy wearing all black was shown being tackled by police right at the barricade. This is the final two or three minutes of Raw. And at the very last moment, as the police are dragging him out, the person's hood is flipped over and one could barely see in the distance that it's Dexter Loomis, formerly of NXT. And then commentary, I think it was Byron Saxton, under his breath, very lightly, he said, is that Dexter Loomis? And Raw went off the air. Now we've talked about for ages, Chris, how WWE, and you mentioned it earlier in today's show, it needs to have its own world backstage. Multiple storylines intertwining, action happening that plays into present and future stuff. I thought the tease with the car early in the show was perfect. It piqued my interest. Out of all of his roster moves, I didn't expect Triple H to call up the NXT parking lot, but it seems like that's what's <laughs> happening. Now yeah. the Raw parking, parking lot or the WWE main roster parking lot is apparently just as dangerous. Even the second segment worked where all the women are there and the cops run by them and you're like, what the hell is this? What's going on here? But I will say I did feel it was a little rushed to do the reveal at the end of the show instead of stretching it to next week, having us ask for an entire week, what was that? What's that going to be? What the hell is this whole thing about? Now, they did not give us a blatant reveal with like Michael Cole. Oh my God, that's Dexter Loomis or something to that effect. So it was still way better. And it was not a blatant reveal. It was very light. And you had to maybe have watched NXT to know who it was, either by face or by name. But it did feel to me like it could have been stretched out one more week, as opposed to all being done in that moment. As far as Loomis goes, I like him fine. The debut was kind of odd. I know Loomis's character is odd, so it's fitting that his debut would be odd. But this went from really awesome and intriguing for me to just thrown all together inside of one show, revealed right away. It's also one thing to bring in like an NXT champion like Cross or huge names like Io Sky and Dakota Kai. But Loomis in NXT, he was really no better than a flat mid-carder. And he's probably not going to be any better than that on the main roster. Now, that's not to say he shouldn't have a spot, but Loomis, like Cross, he's kind of like, once you get him in the ring and you get away from the character, it's kind of generic, slow, relatively boring as a wrestler. And out of all the potential names to bring back, it was just kind of ho-hum to bring Loomis back as opposed to obviously a Johnny Gargano or a Bray Wyatt, and those people are still to come. I'm also not trying to say that there was a problem with bringing Loomis in here. But it did feel like it was creating something new for the sake of creating something new, not necessarily something exciting. As long as the main roster fans are intrigued by someone who maybe they don't know or haven't seen before, then I guess all of it's going to work out in the long run. And and you are probably someone 
who didn't watch this version of NXT as much. So maybe you're not as familiar with Loomis as I am, someone who has never missed an episode of NXT. But I just felt like it lacked something in the end. And Loomis is not someone, despite me liking him, he's not someone to get as excited about as EO Sky, Dakota Kai, and even to some respect, Karrion Cross. It feels like each subsequent reveal is getting like less and less interesting, if that makes sense. Well, I, I, I think you're overthinking it a bit just because you, know the, you yeah. know the entire history of Dexter Loomis and NXT. I don't watch it every week. I know who he is. I'm familiar with some of it. The point of this was to be like, wait, what the fuck was that? Right. And that's it. And that's what it accomplished. And starting with Easter eggs in the background and you're not sure if something's real or not. And then you remember anything on TV and wrestling is supposed to be on TV. And you, you just kind of like the way people watch other shows. Like, oh, there's a reference to something there in the background or, or something like that. It's now creating a spot where if there's something going on in the background of a WWE promo, like you got to pay attention to it. You know, I have my computer up when I'm watching Raw. I'm on Twitter doing other stuff as Raw is playing. I'm not looking, you know, the entire time. This is creating a reason for me to have to pay attention, you know, even deeper for, for stuff like this. And then it, you're like, yeah, like, what the hell is going on? I got to keep watching the show because I need to figure out what exactly this is. Like, nobody really knows. And then, you know, you pull Dexter Loomis away at the end. Um I, I, I agree. I probably, I, I don't, I, I liked all of it. I think I maybe wouldn't have said, is that Dexter Loomis? When you went, when Byron said that, like he said under his breath, it wasn't like a big reveal, but I think I wouldn't have said it at all. I think I would have kept even more of that intrigue going forward to only the people who like well, recognized him knew who it was. But other than that, like, I, I don't think, you know, signing Dexter Loomis means you're not, doesn't mean you're not signing Jenna Gargano or The Fiend or whatever. I know. And, we, I know. and we've talked about how there needed to be just some more depth on the roster that had been gutted for two years. So I don't know what is good. I don't know. I have no idea what it's going to happen next. And again, kind of like what I said with Karrion Cross is like, that's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. I don't think Dexter Loomis is going to be in the world title picture or something like that. So we'll see. And I trust Triple H to make something interesting out of it. Yeah, the other thing just to remember, when I say this, I'm not really, I'm really not criticizing it as much as I'm just noting that when there's debuts and reveals and things like that, the goal of them is to excite the crowd, to really get you excited. And Eosky and Dakota Kai were major pops, like th that resulted in huge pops at SummerSlam and people really got talking about, oh my God, what's next? Karrion Cross, he's not universally beloved, but they debuted him in the number one program that the company has going for it right now. So it's a big moment. This, it, it felt like this was a downgrade from those. And yes, you're it not going to have every single person debut as a, in a main event storyline. I totally get that. But given the momentum that they have, it felt to me like it would probably make more sense to, if you're going to keep debuting people, keep that up before you start doing the mid-card and low-card debuts and things like that. The other thing to consider, and we mentioned this, when we did our long diatribe about uh, Triple H and what changes to expect and which ones not to expect, let's not forget that when you look at the list of WWE releases, the vast majority of the top tier people that would be great surprises to return are in AEW. These are right. all people that have already been signed elsewhere. So WWE, from its own set of releases, actually has slim pickings. That is why the names of Johnny Gargano and Bray Wyatt, even to some respect, Braun Strowman, although I think he's kind of 
played himself out of WWE based on stuff he said in his personal life. Um, but that is why those types of names are really going to raise the rent and someone like Dexter Loomis may not. As far as your point about saying his name versus not saying his name, old WWE, Vince McMahon, WWE, everyone would have played dumb. Oh my God, who is that? We've never seen that person before. Just like Dewdrop coming up, you never knew she was Piper Nevin previously. You didn't get to see anything about her in NXT. They're not doing that now. Byron Saxton and Corey Graves are both completely familiar with NXT. Both of them were there. They were commentators mm -hmm. there. They wrestled there. So they are going to know who Dexter Loomis is. So you cannot have Loomis show his face and have no one briefly mention or, or under their breath mention who it might be. You can't have them acting dumb because that's the new direction of WWE treating NXT like it's something that's real and that matters as they did with Champa, as they did while propping up Shayna Baszler, as they did with Karrion Cross, and now as they're doing with Dexter Loomis. So it's, they it's not had about to say not, his name. It's, well, it's not about not recognizing him. It's about not seeing him. If they like, didn't show his face, I would have been okay with that. I would have right. preferred and that. that that's, it, yeah, and yeah. it wasn't like big zoom in on his face either. You know, they like you saw it kind of in the background and then the camera pans back to AJ Styles celebrating. So it, it was, yeah. it, it wasn't meant to be like a, oh, here he is. Who is this person? It was a, I, I, my, my point was that they did. They just they didn't recognize him, know what was going on because it wasn't part of the script, you know, in kayfabe, and you you, you don't really know right. what the heck was going on. Like, wait, what was that? Who? What, wait, who was that? What was that? I don't know. That All spoke right, to well, what I was saying. That yeah. spoke to what I was saying, though. I was saying you sh they shouldn't have done the third part. They shouldn't have done the full reveal. You're saying sure. I'm okay with them doing the third part, but they shouldn't have shown his face. Well, no. I, again, I, I haven't gone back and watched the segment, so I didn't. I don't remember exactly how clearly you saw him. Not very clear. It was very right. far in the distance. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. So it, it, it's. I think you can still get away with saying, "Wait, what was it?" Because it wasn't. It wasn't clear. He wasn't up front. It was a little blurry. But commentary is not us at home. Commentary is right next to where that's happening. Right, but he by then he's pulled into the crowd. There, if they're turning Maybe. to look, there's fans in the way. You know, we're nitpicking here. I'm just yeah, we, are, overall, we are we are I, nitpicking. I think we're both. But I think we're both saying the same yeah. thing. It would have been yeah. nice if there was a little bit more mystery still on the yeah. plate next week. Yeah, that was my main point. Yeah, but but the overall point was for most of people who don't know even know who Dexter Loomis is to just be like, wait, what the heck was that? Like for a second, I thought somebody was actually trying to enter the ring. Like I thought a fan was trying to get in and security had gotten him. Like you can just leave it at that. And uh, yeah, right. Not have to maybe show his face, not say, wait, was that Dexter Loomis? Cause, cause those other previous segments were like, wait, what the heck's going on? And if you kind of just throw in another, what the heck is that going on? I think maybe they gave you a little too much of the bone at the end, but we're, we're picking nits. I was super intrigued by it. For sure. I'll uh, we'll keep going here. So Seth Rollins fought Angelo Dawkins. Dawkins notably didn't wear a shirt. I think that might be like a first time ever thing here. Uh, Montez Ford distracted Rollins at ringside as Dawkins pounced his ass over the announce table. Rollins taunted Ford back to the point he grabbed the chair, jumped in the ring, and got ejected from ringside. Dawkins hit a tope and a really cool gut wrench fallaway slam, plus the silencer for a near fall. Dawkins avoided two stomps and hit the anointment for a false finish. He got a nice pop when that happened. Dawkins got run into the steel steps. He avoided a third stomp. Then Rollins avoided a second anointment and hit the pedigree to get the clean win in eight minutes. Rollins hit a stomp after the bell, and then he ran away as Ford stormed the ring to save his partner. This is exactly what you want from a TV match. Strong wrestling, 3.5 stars and a B. A simple, ongoing feud. It advanced Ford's character. They told him, they told us, I should say, how he has a short fuse and he has a temper, and this is becoming an issue. 
It also built Dawkins' credibility as a singles performer. And we saw the main eventer go over clean in the end. It's so simple, yet it's something we get so infrequently. If this was three weeks ago, the finish would have been Ford hitting Rollins with the chair for a disqualification. But that wasn't the finish. <laughs> or or it was a, a count out. Yeah. Or a count out, right. Throwing him into the, into the timekeeper's area for a count out. That wasn't the finish. We got a clean finish. Dawkins got built up from it. This was good. Um, yeah, this was uh, this was fun. You know, going in, I thought, hey, there's a chance here that uh, that Dawkins could maybe win this. That's just kind of the, that's just kind of the vibe with the yes. Triple H era. I was like, hey, maybe something could happen. I'm a little more intrigued going into it than otherwise. But everything made sense. Dawkins got to look you know pretty good. Ford had something happen. Rollins stands tall. By the books, real solid. It was also announced that Riddle will be interviewed on Raw next week, asked to respond to that backstage. Rollins said he's done with him. He mocked his delivery as a preview of the interview. Rollins said he's the gatekeeper of the industry. And while Riddle could be great in the ring, he's much better at flushing his potential down the toilet. Just ask Dana White. He said he'll have something to say next week also. This was a good Rollins promo as usual. The Dana White reference threw me for a loop. For those who don't know, Riddle basically began his wrestling career after he was suspended a couple times uh, from UFC for failing drug tests for marijuana. He was released from the promotion, I think it was in 2013, and he did a little Bellator and Titan FC stuff, but he began his wrestling career in 2014, took to it clearly. I mean, as good as he was as an MMA fighter, he was actually pretty decent, but clearly took to wrestling like right off the bat. And now he's the guy that we know. He's had a crazy independent career, was really good in NXT, of course. Now on the main roster, I'm going back pretty far, but it all started with him and Dana White feuding over his drug test suspensions for testing positive for marijuana. So for Rollins to call back to that, which something that has never been referenced on WWE TV, at least not on the main roster, it may have been mentioned once in NXT. I thought that was awesome. And it was just a damn good promo. Yeah, that was, yeah, like I said, kind of exciting and surprising and intriguing. And yeah, it was good. Edge tried to make amends backstage for the spear last week on Dominic Mysterio. Dom shoved Edge instead of accepting his apology and stared him down. Ray said, look, Dom, I've known this guy for 20 years. Dom's like, dude, dad, you've known me for 25. And he stormed off rather than accept <laughs> Edge's apology. Later, Ray told Edge he couldn't find or reach Dom. Edge offered to join him at ringside. Ray said he knew Dom would be there for him and Edge showing up could actually make things worse. This marked the first signs of life and personality that we've ever seen from Dominic Mysterio. Hugely welcome development. It was also funny that Ray said knowing Edge for 20 years meant Dom could trust him, given Edge has been a turncoat son of a bitch for his entire career. If anything, knowing Edge for 20 years would mean that you shouldn't trust this guy, the ultimate opportunist. But it was that was just funny to me. It wasn't really a plot hole or anything like that. They've been partners before. Again, I do think Edge and Ray becoming partners against is something that makes sense. But this whole backstage interaction, Dom showing some balls, standing up for himself, really good. Really good follow-up to what they did the previous week. Like we talked about, it seems like they were going to do Mysterio Edge, but you got to find a way to get Dominic out of it in some form. And this is a, this is a good way to do it. I, I loved that... I've known him for 20 years and I'm just being like, I'm older than that. <laughs> like <laughs> like I'm, I'm your son basically. So I, I right. it wasn't meant to be funny, but I thought it was funny and it was, it was good. Like, um, yeah, the most emotion we've seen out of a Dominic in a while and kind of curious if this could lead to Dominic eventually 
joining Judgment Day, you know, kind of like they offered to him a while back and, and, and whatnot. Now that he's pissed off, maybe he turns against his father, something we've been waiting for him for a long time. So, yeah, this is definitely good. So we had Rey Mysterio against Finn Balor. This started with Balor saying fear isn't real and Judgment Day isn't scared of the Mysterios or Edge. He said, danger, though, is real, and I am danger, which I thought was a pretty cool line. Damian Priest said they'd hold off beating Edge until WWE returns to Toronto in two weeks so he could embarrass him in his hometown. So we're getting an Edge TV match in two weeks, which is pretty cool. Balor hit the first of two Three Amigos before Ray reversed the third. Priest outside got his head in front of Balor's to eat a 619. Balor rammed Ray into the ring post. Priest tripped Ray up on the apron, so Edge ran down to attack Priest drive him into the crowd. They brawled. Ray hit a code red for a near fall. Ray avoided a coup de grace after a missile drop kick. And then as he set up for the 619, Rhea Ripley carried a bruised and beaten Dom out to like the stage area over her shoulder. Uh, Balor caught Ray. He was distracted with the coup de grace and he got the win in 15 minutes. Dom later backstage in the trainer's room was selling his ribs. Ripley was conspicuous by her absence the entire show. So it made a ton of sense for that to be the finish for the match. The wrestling we got was entertaining. I didn't think it was a great match. It was too much start and stop with the interferences, the distractions, the commercial break, but it was a good segment overall to carry the story. Edge Priest in two weeks is totally fine as long as we get Edge against Balor Clash at the Castle. That is a must book match. It's in the United Kingdom. We need to have Balor in a singles match on the show. Not doing that match would be a total sin. Agree. I liked all of this. Even the Rhea Dominic stuff, kind of a nice follow up to last week. And, you know, the the, the comments that were made about uh, that before. I also think it's possible that this is a like I mentioned a minute ago, it could be a roost to like trick Rey Mysterio and, and Edge and something like that. Maybe Dom is in on it. I don't know. Like, I'm interested. Like there's stuff that's did happening. You say a, did you say a roost? Like a chicken? Roost. 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 R-U-S-E. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Just making sure. Um, yeah. And and. <laughs> And so like it's um there's just again there's stuff happening outside of what we're watching in the ring and that's just it's always interesting. It it makes me keep paying attention cuz I don't know what's going to happen next. That's the number one thing you want out of wrestling. Well, you've actually mentioned a couple things. We did get a DM about this from AB Aaron Bahanda. He said, "Can you discuss the possibility of Edge being the one to attack Dominic? I think it's quite obvious." So, to your suggestion, his suggestion that this whole thing is a ruse, it would be very Attitude Era-esque, like in terms of a change in storyline direction to do that. When Judgment Day attacked Edge, they weren't feuding with the Mysterios. So unless they attacked Edge to lure the Mysterios into a feud with them because they specifically wanted Dominic, it really wouldn't make sense to do that whole thing. So I do think Dom could join Judgment Day. I think it's possible. But I don't think Edge would be the one to attack him and have that happen. I think what it would be would be Ray siding more with his friend than his son, Dom feeling overlooked because of that, and Judgment Day taking advantage of his feelings and his youth and inexperience to get him to join their side. I don't think it would be Edge attacking him and Edge being part of Judgment Day this entire time. I think that's a little bit too much. Correct. That That's my thought, is that Judgment Day is taking advantage of this division between Ray and Dominic. Right. Okay. So we're going to move over to SmackDown for a couple of segments. I didn't mean to do Raw uh, consecutively, but because of some of the intertwining of storylines, that is how we did it on this show. We had Ricochet against Happy Corbin. Pat McAfee used a Telestrator to highlight his low blow to Happy Corbin at SummerSlam. It was absolutely hysterical. 
Wrestlers made fun of Corbin backstage. Then Ricochet stepped to him and challenged him for a match to open the show. By the way, Chris McAfee should have this telestrator every single week. Not only is it great for his character, but as a football guy, he actually knows how to use it and yeah. adds like a sports aspect to the entire production. Like he can do it for comedy, but he can also do it for serious stuff. Imagine having the telestrator for the Usos with the shoulder up, right? And for for Liv Morgan with the tap out situation, they could have used it for all that stuff. Seeing him break down key moments and matches or finishes would be so damn interesting. So this is my official petition. Pat McAfee should have a telestrator every week on SmackDown. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. I think that would be a, a, an interesting new aspect to just make it more fun. And look, McAfee was McAfee was out of control. On, <laughs> he was. He was. <laughs> but like, not in a bad way. Like, just no, people were great. into it. Yeah. It was great. It was great. He was absolutely wild. So as far as the match goes, so fans chanted bum-ass Corbin, and they also chanted McAfee, which I hadn't heard before. Rick went sky high on a back body drop. He came back with a springboard clothesline and standing shooting star press for a near fall. Corbin hit an inverted fireman's carry neckbreaker for a false finish. Fans chanted bum ass again. Rick ate deep six for another false finish. He took a choke throw off the top of the ring post onto the top rope. McAfee then stood at commentary to distract Corbin. Rick put Corbin's leg out. He pulled it out from under him. So he straddled the top rope. Then he came back with the recoil and a picture perfect shooting star press for the one, two, three to a massive pop from the crowd in 12 mm -hmm. minutes. I was at 3.5 stars and a B for this. It would have been higher without the, the distractions and all that type of stuff. They were on their way to an A minus, A minus A match, but obviously that stuff happened. After the bell, uh, McAfee stood on the desk and he had like a, like a foam football. He threw it to Ricochet. Ricochet caught it. He threw it back to him. Then Pat punted into, into the crowd. It was so random. Uh, McAfee put Ricochet over the entire match on commentary. He also mentioned how Corbin needed to hit rock bottom in order to find himself again. Also, the crowd was on fire for the combination of McAfee and Ricochet. Plus, obviously, they hate Corbin. When you talk about a perfect mid-card TV segment, this is it. A nice match, putting over a baby face, simultaneously not hurting a heel. Commentary split spent a ton of time putting over the face. They explained why the heel losing was important, why it was key to his storyline and his character. And on top of that, yes, Ricochet is already over. But using McAfee to give him extra rub and elevate him even further out of nothingness was so freaking smart. It seems like we may possibly get McAfee Corbin as a rematch. I don't love that, but it does make sense if they're going to do it at a major stadium show, whether it's Castle, Blood Money, whatever. And if you can't already tell, Chris, yes, this was definitely good. What's the best way to get Ricochet over? It's to just let him be Ricochet and do cool shit. <laughs> like, that's exactly what you do here. The people get into it. McAfee boosted it up. And that's exactly what you kind of want from a commentator and an energetic person like that. This crowd was on fire for this match. Like, it felt like a huge deal. It felt fresh. It was a new kind of matchup. You know, we're so used to Corbin just fighting the same people over and over and over again. This was great. This was every, everything about this was good. Uh, the, the bit about the punt in the football, it was random, didn't really do anything, and was probably something you could have even done during commercial, right. which brings me to something that I saw happen on Raw, which was, um, I don't know if this was new or not, but someone who was in, someone I know who was at the show showed me, put out, put out a picture of them doing a DX cam during the commercial break. 
oh, like a kiss cam funny. or something like that. And you just have people doing doing stuff like that. And I was just thinking like when it, whenever you normally go to a WWE show, the commercial breaks, you're just getting commercials over and over again. And like this kind of fan interaction stuff during those moments um, is, is a great idea to just keep the crowd, you know, into it in general. And the, again, the McAfee thing happened during, you know, during the, during when the cameras were on, but this is some different things that are again happening under a new direction that I think are, are, are maybe much needed, like little things that can be done to just get people more into things. So I, I thought that was interesting. Absolutely. Also on SmackDown, we had Shinsuke Nakamura against Ludwig Kaiser. The stipulation was Shinsuke would officially earn an intercontinental title match with a win. Nakamura hit his sliding powerbomb. He shit talked Gunther only to eat a basement dropkick from Kaiser through the ropes. Kaiser countered Kinshasa with a European uppercut for a near fall. After some counters, Nakamura hit a spinning heel kick and Kinshasa for the win in nine minutes. Really nice pop from the crowd after the bell. As I said, the Greenville, South Carolina crowd was the best WWE crowd of the entire week by a good margin. After the bell, Nakamura went right up to Gunther face-to-face and taunted his ass. The match and booking here were good. Most disappointing was an announcement that the title match would be next week when it's perfect for Clash at the Castle. I mean, Gunther's Austrian. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't do it overseas and you would just do it on SmackDown. They're elevating the United States Championship. Why would you not ensure the Intercontinental Championship is defended outside the continent on a major premium live event? Now, there's still plenty of time to get Gunther another opponent for that show, but Shinsuke made all the sense in the world to be that opponent. One way or another, Gunther in the Intercontinental title, they need to be on a UK premium live event but I am excited for the match next week. Hopefully at main event SmackDown. The only thing that surprised me is we didn't get an intercontinental title video and presentation Mm -hmm. like we did for the US title last week. That would have been nice because even though everyone knows what the intercontinental title is, it has not been treated well for most of the last few years and elevating it the same way they did the US title would have been nice, but the segment was good. The match was good and the booking is good. We're finally going to get Gunther and Nakamura. That's a positive. Yeah, I'm glad we're finally getting that. It Nakamura and Kaiser kind of been doing the same thing ish week to yeah. week, so I'm glad to finally get this match coming. I'm like you, surprised it's happening uh, so quickly. Uh, but also, you know, between Gunther and Nakamura, I don't know how much you can build it up week to week now with promos or skits or other things. So maybe they just you know, look. They always have IC title matches on Fox for whatever reason. So that's going to uh, continue, and I'm looking forward to the match and. I'm uh, picking Gunter to retain. One thing I wanted to mention from SmackDown was WWE is now doing classic SmackDown moment as like a sponsored segment. And the first one they showed was Stone Cold dropping a steel beam on the DX Express. Did you see that from Friday's show? Yes, they've they've done it. They've done this like classic SmackDown thing before, but it's like it's like random. It's like one week we'll get it and then we'll go five weeks without it. Because they've done a couple of times. I couldn't help to think like while watching it, This is the type of stuff WWE needs to do more. They have the money, so cost isn't a factor. And it's not adult content in any way. You don't have to worry about TV 14 or any of that. It's just outside the ring action that's captivating and would make for great viral content. All it was was Steve Austin in uh, some type of, you know, heavy duty equipment, dropping a steel beam on a tour bus that exploded. Like, I'm not saying they have to do that exact thing, but doing stuff like that outside of the ring, in the parking lot, the backstage area, creating the universe that we're discussing, that's really cool. And and that moment just made me think, 
man, WWE, they just completely stopped doing that. Remember when Braun Strowman would tip over an ambulance and he would do this mm-hmm. or do that? That type of shit is fun. And it, it, it gets you a ton of social media views. And like ever since they've come back from the pandemic, like, like since they've started going in front of fans again, I'm not suggesting the pandemic's over, um, they just stopped doing it. And it's been really disappointing. So that's it. Yeah, I, I'm curious if we'll get more of that because Triple H loves the parking lot and doing stuff like that. You know, we got pieces of it, you know, this past week. So um, potentially, yeah. I mean, look, look that that era of WWE, you had milk trucks, you had beer trucks, you had cement yeah. trucks, you had exploding. Like it was just, it was not, it was like happening a lot. You had Vince McMahon yeah. blowing up in a limo and dying one time. Like it, it, that was a lot, but I agree you need to kind of get back to that. Now, stuff like that's probably, you know, expensive and we don't even see unique pay-per-view sets anymore. So I don't know if it's a cost-cutting thing, but I, I do hope that now that, you know, Triple H is in charge and they're clearly opening up the universe of stuff that's happening backstage, that you can start to get really creative with it. I mean, you could steal someone's iPad while they're on the phone with their wife and run it over with a car. I mean, it doesn't have I mean, to be... We, we, we did, I mean, we did get like Bad Bunny and The Miz in the car like that one time. Yeah, and, and we, we had Sasha, we had Sasha, and uh, not Sasha, sorry. We had Becky, Charlotte, and Rhonda kick out the yeah. windows of the police. I'm, I'm not saying it hasn't yeah. ever happened. I'm just saying yeah. they really don't do it. They used to do it all the time. They now mm-hmm. never do anything. So there's a happy medium, which oh. is occasionally doing it. And... They have gotten away from it with all the cost cutting, all the releases, everything that they've done. One of the things they stopped doing was spending money on things like that. And I would like to see them go back to doing it a little bit. Again, once a month, once every two months, just something different and unique that makes you feel like this is action and it's it's exciting and it's not only wrestling in the ring. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. A couple more things before we get out of here. Chad Gable fought Dolph Ziggler, as we mentioned earlier, on Raw. Shout out to Jimmy Smith for putting over Ziggler's Ohio roots at the bell. There was an immediate Let's Go Dolph chant and lots of technical wrestling to start. Gable hit the rolling German suplex. Ziggler hit a spike DDT for a near fall. Gable focused on an ankle lock with Ziggler continuously trying to escape it. Gable hit a powerbomb into another ankle lock. Ziggler then eventually avoided an Olympic slam and he hit the super kick to win in six minutes. This was the That was the only time, like the finish, that the crowd popped, which again was a shame because it was really fun mat wrestling the whole time. They probably should have opened things up a little bit more for like entertainment value because a match between these two really needs to be longer than six minutes and it should be a little bit more exciting than this. Again, this is the type of wrestling I like on occasion, but your main roster crowd is not ready for it. It was too much of a divergence from what you normally get to just put this on TV and expect everyone to pop for it the way they would another match. I also, Chris, I thought this was a spot. It would have made a ton of sense for Theory to return and cost Ziggler the match or attack him after the bell. So I was surprised not to see him, even though I know he is dealing with a legitimate death in the family. So best wishes to him. I know he's been away, but I did think there was a chance he returned this Monday. Obviously he didn't, but this was good. WWE probably, like I said earlier in the show, needs to save matches like this until the crowd is retrained right now because the fans are still looking for the major spots and the big moments. It is unfortunate for you, I, and some of our listeners, but again, Triple H may be rushing certain aspects of his philosophy. This is an example of an area in which if I was him, I would pull back a little bit. I would slow down on presenting this type of wrestling, wait until the crowd is retrained, and then give matches like this. Yeah, I mean, we talked about all of this kind of earlier in the show. Not a ton more to add, but yeah, it was fun. I'd love to see more from these guys. 
and the potentials of the roof. And, and shout out to commentary for really putting both of these guys over and, and trying to uh, build it in that type of way. These guys are, are also at a level where you could probably put them in the ring three weeks in a row and it would be great every time. So you know, maybe we build on it next week or something like that. I don't know, but you know, it was good. I would have liked more of it. And, you know, we talked about the other stuff. Yep. And just a couple more things to get out of here. So Kofi Kingston was backstage on SmackDown. He said, Xavier Woods is recovering from the attack last week, but should be back soon. Kingston said it was weird being by himself without Woods and Big E, but he would make the Viking Raiders pay. So we had the Viking Raiders against Jim Mulkey and Tommy Gibson. McAfee called the Jobbers the best tag team in South Carolina, which definitely made me chuckle. Uh, the Raiders absolutely crushed these guys with Ivar hitting an avalanche world's strongest slam on one guy. And then the Raiders doing their double choke bomb on the other for a stacked double pin. Kofi ran in after the bell with a kendo stick, and he wore it out so much on both of these guys that the kendo stick exploded. So we ended up getting Kofi against Eric as a singles match. This happened after the crowd popped huge for that post-match I just explained. Kingston ate a huge knee that silenced the crowd. He came back with the froggy crossbody for a near fall. Eric did a really sick full Nelson with a knee to the back of Kofi's head. Kingston did his trust fall outside onto both guys. He avoided a kendo stick attack from Ivar. He then countered Ivar with a roll-up for the win in like four or five minutes. I didn't expect Kofi to hit his finisher. I'd have preferred a pinning combination instead of a roll-up. Kofi winning, though, was necessary. He's a former world champion. If you're going to do this match, you don't have Ivar beat Kofi. Nothing wrong with any of this. It was well executed to keep the story going. Is it my favorite thing on WWE TV right now? Absolutely not. But for a one-off segment on SmackDown, this was entertaining and it was good. I, I'll begrudgingly give it a good. I'm still just kind of not into this whole thing at all. I didn't care for the beatdown of the jobbers. Kofi, you know, was so into, you know, the beatdown with the Kendall stick stuff that it did get me into it, did get the crowd into it and all that stuff. You set up the next match, onward you go. But I still don't know just, it, it's, they're still just kind of floating out there. You know, we don't have Woods, we don't have Big E. Co, you know, Kofi's acknowledging that and doing all the chants himself. It just kind of still feels like these guys are just floating with each other, beating each other up every week. Nothing new is happening. It's a little bit different than New Day and the and the Sheamus group, but not totally different. Not that different. So uh, I guess I'll begrudgingly give it a good. And that group, by the way, disappeared kind of. And also your tag team champions are heels. So they're building up the Viking Raiders, which are heels. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I don't know where anybody's going in this. Right. What's like, next just, from like, this? I don't Yeah, I don't have that answer. You're totally. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then on Raw, Omas fought Andrea Gucero and Spencer Slade. Corey Graves had a great line. There's no use learning their names because they're going to forget their own names by the end of this match. <laughs> Omas obviously destroyed these dudes. Notable was his all black gear now had Nigerian flag colors highlighting it. So they're playing into the Nigerian giant nickname. It felt like a waste of a segment. It didn't really accomplish anything because Omas is already established. So I don't even have a grade for this, but we got two squashes, which were interesting. We got Viking Raiders squash on SmackDown and we got Omas with a squash on Raw. MVP, by the way, was still with him. Yeah, I mean, Omas, I think his top was different. We haven't, we didn't, right. We didn't really get any sense of a character reset at all with Omas because it's not like he wasn't this already. So. Right. I don't know. I don't I don't really have any grade to almost give. No, me neither. It's yeah. like there's nothing really to say. It was just something that happened. It wasn't even like it yeah. wasn't a great squash. It wasn't a bad squash. It's a squash. And that's sometimes what they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So, Chris, that uh, that's it from this week in WWE. We had an absolute ton to cover on uh, SmackDown and Raw. I think we went through it all. Clearly, the Triple H era is off and running with a very strong start. I'm enthused about it. It seems like you're enthused. Clearly, the fans are. I am going to be curious to see what the Raw rating is for this Monday. I do expect it naturally to drop coming out of last week. But with the news cycle and everything that happened, I, I do think that it's not going to be a substantially interesting number. But if it is, that'll certainly tell us all we need to know about this era. Maybe it's working and, and it's working faster than we would think. But overall, I think it's really fair to say, right? Um, two weeks in a row of very entertaining WWE TV, starting really with the SmackDown before SummerSlam. From there, all the way till this Monday, you know, individually, we've had nitpicks. We've had things that we didn't necessarily like on the shows. But top to bottom, really good WWE programming. Probably the best stretch of shows that we've had from WWE. Actually, not probably. The best stretch of shows we've had from WWE this year, I would say without question. Yeah, I, I would agree. It, it's just, it feels like anything can happen. Like from big things like who's going to make an appearance to little things like interactions backstage and a weird car accident, maybe like just it feels like you got to watch because you don't know what's going to happen. It's, and that's exciting. And we're we're not talking about it on this episode. We'll get to it maybe at some point in the future. But I've I've been enjoying the the A&E shows, the the biographies, the, the rivalry shows, the Lex Luger biography on Sunday was really, uh, really good. Anybody I recommend go check that out if you haven't watched it yet but uh we'll we'll get to those at some point on the show but um do you yeah, like all three so there's the there's the um biography there's the rivalry and then this talking smack or smack talk whatever it's called are you watching all three of them i have not watched the smacking talk whatever there's, whatever that is it's it's too much it's like it's like yeah. it's, it's it's like four hours of WWE content in a row on A&E yeah. sometimes because some of the biographies are two hours long and well, then you have an hour of the rivalry show. I'm like, at, at that point, I'm, I, I got to check out. So that, that's what's prevented uh, I, me. That's what's prevented me from watching it because it's like, okay, if I want to watch one week, I kind of want to watch it in order, you know, and then I start with the, the biography. I'm like, oh my God, it's two hours. I don't want to sit and watch a yeah. two hour biography right now when I'm doing so many other things during the week. So that's, I mean, I, I haven't caught up on last season's Dark Side of the Ring. Um, there's a ton of stuff on Peacock that I still I haven't finished the evil series. There's ruthless aggression episodes I haven't watched yet. Yeah. So like there's a lot of content that it just kind of after WWE did not create any new content for a very long period of time. All of a sudden there's like a rush of it, a glut of it, and I can't seem to catch up. So I hope to kind of pick through it a little bit. Maybe if I'll watch like the first two biographies and next week on the show, we can do a talk, a really quick talk about the first two and go from there. But it is difficult. You're right. It's a lot of content. And that extra show, the talking smack or whatever the hell they're calling it at the end, it seems to me completely unnecessary. It's like one of those like um, I don't watch Walking Dead, but I think they do like a talking dead at the end talking of every episode. Yeah. So like they yeah. go they go over what just happened yeah. in the show. Like, and I yeah. think well, I think that makes sense for like dramas, right? And action shows where where you have long term storylines that are developing and you want to have a conversation about it. It's basically those shows are the equivalent of what we do here. We talk about what we just saw from the last week in TV. But to then do that show coming out of a biography and a rival show, it just feels like they're trying to get extra content and it doesn't really seem like it's worth watching, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, so, some of the stuff is some of the stuff is new and that's worth watching. Some of it has been told a million times and it's not worth watching. Like, I think the, that's rivalry, the, other thing. Right. the rivalry episode this week was WWE versus WCW. There's nothing new to talk about. Right, and like, what am I going to learn? Shawn Michaels versus yeah. Bret Hart. I've seen every I, single exactly. thing that's ever been created about it. But, exactly. But the... 
Kurt Angle biography was good because okay. I didn't quite know all of the depth of his prescription pain abuse. The Lex Luger one was really good because it was a lot of it was really new to me. The Brock Lesnar Kurt Angle rivalry was really good. Some of the others they've been told a million times. There's nothing new to really say. Uh, so it's 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 a mixed bag. But look, if you're WWE, you're getting these extra deals. You're getting your product out to more places. It makes sense for them. That's but at them. some point, they've yeah. told they've they've told some of these stories so many times that there's not much left to tell. Yeah, and you know what? These are probably more for casual fans and people who watch A and E and want biographies, not necessarily us who have poured through the Peacock and WWE Network library and have seen all the stuff that's been produced from WWE in the past. So maybe we don't have to watch all these things, but it does feel weird to like have a wrestling podcast and and you know do the show and like WWE and, and wrestling so much and have new content be created and like not go and watch it. It's weird for me to kind of be in that position, but it is where we are. I will try to catch up on those and so we can discuss them. If there's anything that you guys want to point out, you the listeners, uh, from those shows that we specifically want us to talk about or watch, please just DM us or tweet us and we will be sure uh, to do that. By the way, the way you DM us and tweet us is by following us first on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So please do not forget to do that. Also, let's remember that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is so leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and also on Apple. Also leave a written review. Those are so super important. We appreciate so much when you leave us those five-star reviews. And just for this show, one last time, a reminder, we are currently accepting monetary contributions for getting over to cover hosting, equipment costs, things of that nature. If you do wish to contribute, which you certainly do not have to, but if you do, you want to support the show, you can do so on Venmo at Adam Silverstein, no spaces, at Adam, S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. And the avatar on the note is the ECW World Championship, so you know you are hitting the right person. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris, once again for joining us. We will be back on Thursday with a loaded show. We're going to talk NXT, NXT UK, AEW, which we didn't just have Dynamite and Rampage, but also Battle of the Belts this week. And the Silver King is going to watch Ric Flair's last match. All of that will be covered on Thursday's show. But for now, I'm going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.